Okay, the question for the day around your table, what is your favorite story of all time? And not fair saying Jesus, okay? So non-biblical story maybe. Um, um, and, and either take that on or say, hey, when a, when a teacher or a preacher tells a story, do you uh, typically listen or do you kind of glaze over? Okay? Start right there. All right? That's where we'll start today and we'll get after Matthew 13 in just a minute. All right, what'd you come up with? Your favorite story. You're having way too much fun. Your favorite story of all time. All right. I need one story. What's your favorite story? What is it? What's your favorite story of all time? She can't say. Yeah. No, I can't do. It. Not well. I just said not Jesus. So David and Goliath. I, that probably qualifies. All right. All right. Michael. And Moody witnessed to Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday had a, had a tent revival, and only one person showed up and got saved, and that was Billy Graham. Mr. Graham. Hey, what a wonderful, yeah, what a great story. What green. Yeah. Oh, yeah. got a parade of people saying to him. Think about that. Thank you. Yeah, think about that. Absolutely. Anybody else got a, got a quick story, your favorite story? Perry? Well, this, uh, Does it involve hunting and fishing? Hunting. Yeah, okay, I figured it did. So, Beth, Betty liked to hunt, but when she was in school, uh, and uh, we were out my campus out, she had an accounting test come up on Monday, so she could only go out for, for a little while. Bottom line is, I got mine, I came by, came down the hill, she seen the deer, she shot, it ran off, actually I scared it off, and I came back behind her, and I looked in front of her, I seen her had her gun up, and she was moving down like this, and I hollered at the deer in a shot, it took off. I said, I know where it's at. Well, we, Dad got down there, we looked, and we looked, never could find it. She said, I gotta go back in, and if you love me, you will find my deer. Oh my, <laughs> you found it. Proved your love, Perry, that's good. That's good, that's a great, Especially given what you guys have been through the last few years and losing Betty, that's a great story to remember. Okay, so um, I, I, I think it's interesting here. Uh, kind of the reason that I, uh, I um, began this way today is because if you were to search on the internet for teaching methods, you'd probably find a hundred different teaching methods. Um, uh, in a teacher-centered method, the instructors are kind of usually authority figures who deliver knowledge. Um, this is kind of described as being a sage on the stage. Now, um, when I was in seminary, one of my favorite professors would say, uh, that style of teaching is, uh, you sit still while I instill. 
never forgotten that. Um, the, the other would be more like of a student-centered method where teachers function more like a facilitator. Uh, that might be called a guide on the side instead of a, uh, uh, <laughs> instead of a, a, a sage on the stage. Well, um, I, I think it's really, really interesting here that if you analyze the teaching method of Jesus, or methods, plural, um, there's no technology factor to consider here. So you got to take all that off the table. You know, today, um, at least for the next 24 hours or so, I work in an in a institution of higher learning, and we're always talking about new methods of technology and all that. Uh, you you kind of got to keep up with that. Uh, there's a researcher who identifies five different teaching methods that Jesus used. Another one says there were seven, while a third one says there were no fewer than nine. Um, but what you and I are going to look at today, uh, one more time from this section here, is uh, in Matthew 13, Jesus uses a story. Uh, the Bible is going to call them parables. And... Um, um, so, we'll look at just for a minute here what a parable is. Um, my, my best attempt at describing what a parable is and what it does is it's something, and this is not uh, unique to me, it's somebody else I read said this, it is using the here and now to get to the there and then. So, you, look, connecting the dots between something that you and I know about here and now to, um, to connecting to something uh, then. Um, a, a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, maybe. Now, there's no agreement on the exact number of parables recorded in the New Testament um, because there are some stories that are told that some think well, uh, it's kind of told like a parable, like the rich man and Lazarus. But some people wonder if that was a real story, not just a parable. Um, so uh, it's kind of hard to, to know. So th that part of it is kind of uh, a, a little bit confusing. But if you think you and I are confused about some of that, read the Gospels and how often Jesus would teach an allegory or a story or a parable and the disciples would say, what, what? And they're going to do that in the, in the, in the story that we're, we're dealing with here today. Now, Matthew 13 that we're going to, be, we're going to um, uh, focus in on is sometimes called the parable chapter because it has the greatest concentration of parables in the book. Um, um, it, and, and sometimes this parable that we're going to study today is called, called um, uh, the, the parable and the parables, uh, the parable of parables, because it kind of gives us the paradigm for how parables are supposed to be used. Um, and Jesus literally shows them how to understand what he just said. And you and I get to kind of look over their shoulder and catch that. Uh, this is a very long chapter. There's story after story after story after story. If your Bible's like mine, all in red, which tells us these are stories that Jesus told. So we're going to get into then this story about dirt today. Okay. It's the parable of dirt. All right. <laughs> Remember I said that, because we're going to come back to it. Steve Blair, can I get you to read the first three verses of Matthew 13? That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. 
say saying a farmer went out to sow his seed, that kind of goes with the next. Yep, it just kind of gave us a little bit of an intro to that parable. Now, so Jesus uh, changes locations here. If you look back at the last verse or two of um, um, three or four of, of Matthew 12, um, he is in a home, probably in Capernaum, which is home base for him. And while he's there, people just kind of keep coming. And uh, including, by the way, if you read verse 46 through 49 or so, you'll realize that, that uh, his, uh, his family kind of came to him. His mom and his brothers, they're standing outside wanting to talk to him. And he's kind of jammed up inside. So, interestingly, as chapter 13 begins, he decides to take the whole thing outside. And he goes to the lakeside, to the shore of Galilee. So, uh, why he changed locations is probably so that a larger crowd could hear. Now, look at verse 2, and it'll kind of give us an indication of that. Um, he uses the lake, a boat, and the seashore... Uh, or the lake shore is kind of a natural uh, teaching platform. Now, I uh, was talking to my kids yesterday in Michigan. We don't get to do this here very much. Um, uh, but they're doing a mass baptism service today in, at Lake Michigan this evening. Because it'll be 80 degrees there. It won't be 145 degrees like it'll be here. And uh, and I'll, I'll see great video of that. They they rent a pavilion and set up sound system. They do worship time, and I, that's just great fun. Uh, wish we could somehow do that. I, I, if you tried to do that with me, I would drown in Lake Hefner. So okay, um, but but um, here he uses kind of this area that's kind of a natural amphitheater that becomes a natural teaching platform. Um, water would help him a little bit with crowd control. Remember at the end of 12, he's got a little issue with crowd control. People are just pressing in on him. So he can have somebody row him out a little ways uh, on a boat and speak from there and they can come as close as they want to to the to the shore, and there he is. Now, we think, we're pretty sure, that the boat that he was teaching from was one of the disciples' boats. Interestingly, this is not the story that is told in, which is not a parable, it's a story, in, for instance, Luke 5, when uh, Jesus had just met Peter not too long before, and uh, Peter had been fishing all night, if you remember that story, and Jesus says, uh, row me out in your boat. And, uh, you know, you kind of get the of Peter on, on that one. And he, he, he takes him out. Peter's life has changed. Uh, but that's a, a similar story. Now, I read this week that um, uh, in 1986, I, I don't remember reading this before. This is fascinating to me. In 1986, the remains of a fishing boat were f dating from back in Jesus' day were recovered from the mud on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, that, now, what makes that uh, even more intriguing than to think, I wonder if that was Peter's boat, was that James and John's boat, James and John's dad's boat. Um, um, but 
what makes it even more interesting is you kind of think about what kind of a boat was he in and this boat that they found was uh, seven feet wide and about 27 feet in length so when you see uh, depicted on a movie or something you see or, or maybe on a flannel graph you see Jesus uh, talking by the way if you don't know what a flannel graph is yeah, that, uh, when I say flannel graph that means I'm really old so um, can you bring one next week uh, you know what we ought to get a flannel graph in here Jonathan just to, you know to, to illustrate but usually you see Jesus kind of a little small boat uh, this is a, a, a ship yeah, a pretty good sized ship. So uh, anyway, I find that kind of intriguing. So he steps, he, he has them row him out a little bit from there and begins to teach. And as he does so, this was the method he used. Now, what, what I wrote on your outline is that this was his usual method of teaching. Uh, Karen, I see you back there. You mind to go over to Mark 4? And in a minute, I'm going to have you read verse 34, okay? Mark 4, 34. Now, um, if you have ever listened to a great storyteller, a storytelling preacher, uh, Rhonda, I was packing up books this week and I came across a spiral bound book like that entitled Living Parables. Our, our uh, really mentoring pastor wrote that book a hundred years ago because he taught a lot. Uh, Pastor Gary Osmond taught a lot. We were in Eastern Kentucky using stories and he was a master storyteller. I can still tell probably a dozen of his stories that I heard over the years. Um, uh, so uh, Jesus, if you've ever heard a great preacher who's a great storyteller or if you've ever, let's just be honest gang, if you've ever watched an intriguing TED talk Whoever Ted is, he didn't make that up. It began right here on the shores of the Sea of Galilee by the master teacher of all master teachers. Karen, read Mark 4, 34. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So his method was... He never taught without telling a story. That ought to be a that ought to be a clue to us, huh? He never taught, according to Mark, he never taught without telling a story. Now, why is this important? Uh, because in the 50 or more of them that are in the Gospels, he's teaching us how to best communicate. Now, now. Um, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to come back, Steve, since you're still here. I'm going to have you read 4 down through 9 in just a minute. But I want you to think about something as Steve reads. If Jesus were here in the room in 2023, he uses a motif here of uh, a sower and seed, a farmer and seed. He may not use that one today if he were here. Think about what he might use. Steve, if you'd go to verse 4, read down through 9. Farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. 
Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Uh, this is just, it, it's golden. It's just golden. So if Jesus were here today, he might say, now I'm going to pick on one of you. He might say, a plumber got in his truck to go to work and it wouldn't start. Because Wayne told me that story this morning. Uh, what, what do you think he would use? Instagram. Yeah, he would probably use some kind of social media thing. Um, uh, a teenage girl was checking her account on Instagram. Uh, you know, would he say an executive dialed up um, an executive dialed up uh, the stock market as he was wont to do? Would he say a student booted up his laptop? Would he say a grandmother looked for her children on Facebook? I, I think he would use. All kinds of methods like that. Somebody else come up with a really good one? What do you think? Any ideas? Not that Jesus needs ideas, but okay. <laughs> Don't you think he would use the best, the most common, the most mutually understandable language of our culture in our day? Okay. Two men were driving side by side. One was driving a beat-up Ford, and the other one was driving a Maserati. You know, I mean, I can, just, I can just, I can begin a lot of these by thinking, how would he engage us? He would engage us the way we are used to being engaged, I think, because he did that with them. In their day, when he said to them, when he said to them, a farmer went out to sow, Everybody in that crowd would be able to say, hmm, okay, I get it. They've seen that. There are some who believe that as he told this story, there was one doing that just off the scene. It, wouldn't that be interesting? A farmer went out to sow. All right, so, um, so he begins to talk about different things here. Uh, uh, and the first two of Jesus' word pictures include hard soil and rocky soil. But before we get into that, and, and by the way, we're only going to hit this with a glancing blow right now. We're going to wait till he explains it and listen to his explanation more, more so. But let's, let's uh, kind of identify the players. The sower, in this case, is Jesus. It might be you. If you want to sow seeds, if you're, uh, if it's a common thing for you to sow spiritual seed, the seed is the gospel of the kingdom of God. I think that's pretty clear. We'll see that in just a minute. Um, uh, the soil is the hearer. Okay, probably the heart of the hearer. The receptivity of the hearer. So, what you and I need to catch in all of these, in, in all of these types uh, that, uh, of where the seed is being sown, is the idea that the same sower sows the same seed. It's the same sower, the same seed. The difference is the type of soil. 
I've got to kind of catch that. Um, so as you, as we read through these, continue to kind of unpack them. Think about the soil. Think of it. See it in your mind. Now, so uh, some uh, soil was hard, um, and um, and was eaten by the birds. Now, uh, Rhonda probably likes that part because she's always outside feeding the birds. Um, uh, um, I don't like it when the squirrels get the bird seed. So anyway, I got another thing going on. Um, so the second type is rocky soil. So the, the, the soil might be actually okay, but it's thin. It's thin. And so when the 100 degree days come, whatever plant has risen it is going to get kind of parched and, and, uh, and, and, and not grow like it should. Now, in verse 7, the sower's good seed has to compete with some kind of noxious weed. He doesn't identify what the weed is. Probably in that area, it's some kind of thistle. Uh, if you've if anybody read much about about the um, um, the Dust Bowl days, uh, one of the problems was uh, when when Russian folks brought their wheat seed and grain seed to the U.S., it was mixed with some kind of Russian thistle, and so. A lot of the thistles that we have in Oklahoma actually are Russian. They came over here, you know, during the during the 20s or whatever, um, and uh, they didn't know that seed was in there. Wouldn't it, they would have picked it out? I guess if they if they could have. But the seed, the good seed, the produce had to compete with something else. That's kind of the idea here, and therefore kind of puny growth and very little grain. But verse 8, all is not lost because there was some soil that found it, that fell just exactly in the right place. And uh, a great return. Uh, my understanding is a, an excellent return in Jesus' day was tenfold. Plant a watermelon seed, you get ten watermelons. By the way, that sounds pretty good right now to me, doesn't it? Tenfold. Uh, a normal return would be six or seven fold. And Jesus says, 100 fold, 34 fold, 40 fold. Uh, this, this is a bumper crop. It's kind of the idea here. Um, uh, better than ever is what he's saying. And then he says in verse 9, a thing that he says a lot. Now, I, I put some references uh, to all the churches in Revelation. He says this. Um, in fact, um, somebody go go to Cindy. Can I get you to go to Revelation two twenty nine? Revelation two twenty nine. He says this to all those churches that Jesus addresses. The words are in red, still in the book of Revelation, post resurrection. Okay, and he's speaking to all these churches in the book of Revelation, and he says this. Look at verse nine. Uh, Cindy, read. Kind of he he modifies it just a little bit in Revelation. Go ahead. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying, in this case, to the churches. The Spirit is speaking to the church. And the, Don't you think, in my own kind of understanding of verse 9, don't you think what he's saying is, okay, are you listening? I'm... Uh, uh, I dialed up a, a piece of a of a podcast from a, 
sister church this week where the, the pastor is literally doing a weekly broadcast called um, The Bottom Shelf. And it's, that's a favorite old uh, analogy of mine. Uh, I need you to put the cookies on the bottom shelf for me. The stuff I need to get, I need you to make it easy for me to get. Are you listening, he says. Okay, so let, let's go on. John, can I get you to go to verse 18 and read down through 23? He's going to skip ahead. Uh, he's told this story, and, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's rowing back ashore whistling. And the disciples said, uh, sir, master, teacher, what in the world are you talking about? That's what happens. By the way, that's uh, the RSV, Revised Seton Version. But that's exactly what happens in the intervening verses. Before, And John's going to pick it up, verse 18, where Jesus is going to explain it to him. 18, 9 to 23, John. Listen then what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sowed in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke him making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Okay, Karen, since I had you in Mark 4 a while ago, can I get you to go back there? I'm going to have you read 4, um, uh, where is it? 414 in just a minute. Uh, now, Clearly, the disciples missed the point, which makes me wonder if they did not at least yet have what Jesus might call spiritual ears. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. How do I know that? The disciples came to him and said, came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And so he begins to tell them why. And, uh, and then he, he unpacks it. Uh, so I think clearly the disciples missed the point. Somehow they didn't dial in uh, either, even though he really did put the cookies on the bottom shelf. I mean, as, as you and I read it. But he's going to unpack it for us here as he did for them. Now, Mark's telling of this story is much more direct even than Matthew's is. He's going to be really direct when, when we get to this point of saying, here's what this was about. Karen, read Mark 4, 14. The farmer sows the word. So it's clearly not about farming, isn't it? Uh, in Matthew, the farmer sowed the seed. Here, when Jesus is even explaining it, Mark says, he says, the farmer sowed the word. Look that word up. This is the same word that is used in John 1. In the beginning was the logos, the word. And the word was with God 
and the Word was God. Oh, that, that capital W is used a lot in the first chapter of Mark, uh, I'm sorry, of John, to get our attention about something that they would have understood. When he says the Word, they know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the, the most important message they will ever hear. Um, and so, this is about that word, about him, the living word. And the word, capital W, of the gospel that he's going to share with them. So, uh, let me kind of complete your statement here. There can be no faith without understanding. That's kind of what he's dealing with here. So, uh, he begins to talk about some uh, where there's a little that springs up in, in um, rocky soil. In verse, uh, in, in verse 19, um, there's the issue of um, um, uh, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. That's Remember, that was the birds before that stole the seed. That happens. Verse 20 uh, uh, is the one who is, I said, is in thin soil in rocky places. And he, it's interesting here in verse 20, uh, he says um, uh, that that person immediately receives it with joy. I find that kind of interesting. Uh, it's interesting that some are initially at least thrilled with the gospel. It gives me joy. But that's not enough. I've got to move on with it. Uh, the gospel ought to give me joy. It ought to give me hope. I, I know enough of you all that know some of the things you're going through that the gospel gives me hope. That, that there's going to be a better day coming. But I can't just be giddy, thrilled all the time. One of my mentors in college, we were talking about appropriate songs to sing in worship, had Perry Grubbs. He's a cousin of Marty's uh, dad's, uh, but he was a great mentor to me. I just remember him talking about, I got to be careful not to only sing songs that say basically, me and Jesus, Jesus and me, me and Jesus sitting in a tree. Yeah, so uh, it's got to be a little more depth to it than that. <laughs> uh, it might be thrilling, but is it deep enough? So uh, if, if you go on to verse 21, uh, often this doesn't endure. Um, and and if I put the reference to chapter 16, verse 24, where Jesus just said, you know, there's a cross involved in this, and you and I dare not think it's any other way to deny my, but to deny myself take up my cross daily and follow him David Kenneman wrote a book uh, called Unchristian uh, maybe 10 years ago he's the guy who kind of took over for George Barna in the Barna group the, the startling conclusion in this, this good book that I live with is that if we're not careful with the gospel and following up with people who respond to the gospel, 
is we will inoculate people with the gospel. Give them just enough of it to where they become rather immune to it. And therefore, he, he makes a statement, and you've known people like this. Maybe this was your story at some point, and Jesus redeemed that whole scenario. I see it even with 25-year-olds or so, where somebody will say, yeah, i kind of been there, done that. I tried that. How devastating, gang. I tried that. Didn't work for me. It was thin. Nobody followed up, you know? And therefore, when the heat came, the plant withered. And it, he kind of says that here in verse 21. It just doesn't endure. Now, there are two words in the, at the end of this thing as we kind of land the plane here. What is it that often chokes out the seed? And I think he uses a couple of ideas here. I want to give you a little bit of a language lesson here. Uh, because he's talking about, uh, it's interesting, talking about unfruitful seed. Now when I read that, that sounds like a contradiction in terms. You wouldn't sow seed if you didn't plan on it bearing fruit, would you? I wouldn't harvest, take the time, I'm going back to a summer reference here. I wouldn't go back to take the time to take all the seeds out of my watermelon, <coughs> plant them, if I didn't expect to get some watermelons back. <coughs> Rhonda's got a friend who's been bringing us, I, I now call her the tomato lady. She brings, she sends us tomatoes. And they're so good because she harvests seeds out of mature tomatoes every year, dries them, plants them the next year. That's fruitful seed. So unfruitful seed sounds like kind of a contradiction terms to me, doesn't you? He uses two words here to say this is the kind of thing that chokes out the seed. So back to that idea of, of uh, uh, those who are sown among thorns. Two words that he says chokes out the seed. One is worry. Now, I know that none of you have a problem with worry. So you can just kind of, uh, I'm going to talk to myself for a minute. I've been awake since three this morning. Because of that. Uh, you don't need to know about what, okay? Don't need to know. It's just my brain was cranking at 3 a.m. Uh, the word is merimna in Greek. And here's the definition. Anxiety about things pertaining to this earthly life. And Jesus says that, that's the word he chose. Jesus says that will choke the seed out in your life. It'll train wreck your faith. Worry. You don't need this part of this message, but I do. Just going to tell you. Okay. The second word is pluitos or pluitas in Greek. It is the word that is probably translated in your Bible, wealth. That's another thing that will crowd out the seed. That's another weed. Now one of the weeds, one of the, one of the uh, thistles is worry. The other one is wealth. The idea there is earthly or external 
possessions. Now, before you think I'm going to go really go here, I want you to go, I want everybody here, if you would please, turn with me to Hebrews 11. Now, I'm going to do a plug here because Brother Paul is going to teach us for the next month from Hebrews 11. Uh, his outlines look incredible. He sent me some stuff about this the other day. Hebrews 11. Ellie, are you there? Read verse 26. It's about Moses. 26? Uh-huh. Considering the reproach of, reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to do the reward. Moses considered the riches of eternity of greater value than the riches of this world. I can choose that, you know. And what Jesus is kind of indicating is that if I get that flipped, that's a weed that's going to likely train wreck my faith. If I'm mired in worry, or if all I think about is earthly wealth that may result in um, just train wrecking my faith or it crowds out the seed. So, let, let's, uh, let me give you one more thing to think about. If Jesus sowing did this, then you and I got to figure our sowing of seed is going to meet several different reactions, right? But you never know if the most bitter hearer of your story, the most bitter listener of the seed you're sowing may be only a few steps away from the gospel. Let me give you a story. I, uh, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you two stories, kind of two and a half stories, okay? When Rhonda was uh, 16, 17 years old, she was a Jesus girl. Does that surprise you? Sang like a bird like she still does. And her friends that she spent a lot of time with came from different backgrounds, many of them. But they loved her. I, I went to her retirement party 10 days ago. And to a person, they all were talking about, thank you for praying for me. Thank you for helping me with my faith. She was doing that when she was 17. In particular with Sue and Donna. You still hear from Sue. I'm not going to tell how many years later because then they'll, they'll throw that other thing under the bus. Okay? You likely wondered if they heard anything you had to say in those days. And yet it took root. I, a, a couple of months back, back during the winter, I, uh, I walked by uh, one of our kind of commons areas on campus. And um, uh, there was a girl seated there by herself who is a, a German volleyball player. And um, I asked her the question that I would probably ask any of you in the same scenario. How you doing? Hey, it's good to see you. Called her by name. How you doing? And she began to sob. 
uh, volleyball was everything to her. She'd hurt her leg. She was trying to make it on a semi-pro team. She had just finished with us. Now my future is in jeopardy. And so we stopped for a minute, listened, prayed. I was loading stuff in my car from my office this week. And I ran into Hannah. You know, what you did, and by the way, she's in Germany now. She went back home this weekend. You know that day? I still remember that. I still remember that. That was a turning point in my life. So you never know. Somebody that you think is really, really far away. It may be that they're only a few steps away. And it may be that the Lord will use some kind of thing that comes up in their life. And your words as you sow seed in a difficult moment in their life. Okay, I told you last week. Evidently, uh, I didn't say it clearly, clearly enough. Uh, Ron and I are going to be out of town for a couple couple of weeks, and then uh, uh, I'm just going to take a few days to just kind of chill. And I'll likely be here, but Brother Paul's going to teach us all the way through the book, of, through the month of August, through Hebrews 11, different heroes of faith there. And uh, I'll be back after Labor Day. I'll still be, I'll be around. I won't be around the next couple of weeks, but, but I'll be around. We're gonna, I'm going to try to just kind of retool over the next little bit. Hopefully, I'll have a lot more energy when I come back. Is that scary to you? <laughs> God bless you. Have a great uh, rest of your summer, and I'll see you here in a week or two.